Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. At the heart of this message today is how to deal with self, the self, the canality. I mean, that is at the heart of it. How to deal with the self, the carnality, and the fleshy nature that all of us, we inherited it. And we came with it from birth because we inherited it from our foreparents. Adam and Eve. What we'll try to do is we're going to get a quick tracing from Adam and Eve how we got into this self business. And then we would see how Satan, in that continuing diabolic plan of getting us to pursue self, especially in these last days and he's wanting us to have people pursue self at a blind side so you doing everything you're doing but there's things going on that could lead you into pursuit of self that you might not um, pay attention to and in particular um, I would be very interested in my young people. So if I mention your name, I'm not saying that you are pursuing self, but I'm drawing your attention because I have you um, in my heart as I present this message. So we'll first try to do a quick recap of how we got into self. And we can all turn to the first book, Genesis, the third chapter, and we can read right from verse 1. And this is what we read. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We shall eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So this is a a sad recount of how we got ourselves so buried in self. Because the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise, pride of life. So in the garden, we see that Adam and Eve were caught in the pursuit of self. Wanting to be something that they were not. Something on their own. We're going to be smarter than we actually are. You're going to be better. We're actually going to be like God. Because that's what the guy told us. That we actually would be like God. Wow. We're going to be better than who we are now. We don't re- we're not really as good as God made us in his image. Let's pursue ourselves. What we think will make us wise. What is pleasant and what is good to eat. So John later got us understanding that these were the the very things that he's been doing from the beginning. And so John is the one that got us understanding that the three uh, prong approach is what Satan is always using to corner anybody so he said for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and the pride of life and it's not from the father as nothing in the package that god gave us creating us in his image self was not part of it like self pursuit of self to be better on our own and stand, so to speak, on our own two feet, that was not part of God's plan. But from the world, that is what the world teaches us outside of God. So right from the garden, self continued to plague men until God wiped the slate clean in the flood. So we come all the way and God said, Man that I made in my own image. Now every day their thought, the imagination of their heart, it's evil continually. Self has eaten man up. 
I regret doing this. But this is what I will do. I will preserve a generation to kind of restart. So he wiped the entire evil generation and preserved a people. But from this account, it did not take long, and we heard of the Tower Project in Genesis chapter 11. So self is back again, because we've fallen already, and it's with us now. Our fallen nature, we walk with it, and we travel with it, and we do everything with it. It's, so it's with us. So after God wiped it clean, the very people that he started with, with their generation, will get back to Genesis 11, Tower Project. And what do they want to do? At this point in time, Bible experts say it's about 1,900 years after um, Adam and Eve. So we're inching close to 2,000 years, and we come to this Tower Project. And what do they say? In Genesis 11 verse 3, they say, And they said to one another, Let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Let us build us. Let us build us. A city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. We also build. We all build. We've got houses to live in. Even if we didn't build it, we bought it. So we believe in building. So the problem wasn't the building, but look at what was in their head. And they say, let us make a name. I didn't even read it properly. It said, let us make us a name. So we are going to make ourselves a name. Lest we'll be scattered upon the face of the earth. So the, the goal was a selfish goal. We want to go We want to make us a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we're going to be scattered in the whole, in the face of the whole earth. So we want to avoid this, and so we're going to do something on our own, our own project. So it took God to destroy this effort. So we see that in Genesis, these people were united together. And this word together, united, 
watch it. Especially in these last days. Their mission was that they want to resurrect the self again. God has always been in the business of dealing with the corrupt nature. So you can fast track to the time of Jesus Christ and we see him dealing with the religious ranks, the selfish religious ranks. And he would say something like, you won't go in and you won't even let others to go in. Talking about the religious leaders of his time. So they won't go into the kingdom by their deeds and they are also preventing others to get into the kingdom of God. So that selfish ambition was still around and Christ confronted that in his uh, ministry. But even more important is what Christ said that in the very end of time, we're still going to have deception. And he didn't refer to this deception as self But man has always been pursuing self. That is our problem. We don't want God to be God. We don't want God to be our God. Because the master, instigator, didn't want God. Because he wanted to overthrow God. So man, in every way, we also want to overthrow God and put ourselves on the throne and worship ourselves. So he predicted deception. And the coming deception is going to be so deceptive that people that you wouldn't probably expect would be deceived might be deceived. So today, even as we're speaking about dying to the self, We want to still do it in the context of last days. Because self has always been around. But in these last days, how is self, the pursuit of self, manifesting? How is it showing up? This is engaging my attention because we should keep in mind that not knowing All biblical truth might not hurt you. Not knowing every biblical truth there is might not hurt you. But accepting a little bit of deception can be deadly. Can be deadly. So whilst we focus on knowing biblical truth, which is the thing we need to pursue. We have to be mindful of deception. Christ's warning to the churches in Asia shows that he wants us, his bride, to get rid of any influences of contrary teachings. It is even better that we never dabbled in any of them. 
Of course, we cannot stay away if we are unaware of those influences. They are highly subtle and very coordinated from many different areas of our social, economic, political, and spiritual lives. Sadly, Satan is stealing the hearts of men and women even in the churches of God. Because those of you that had experience in the worldwide church of God, that was the church of God, that was a church of God. How did he get in? So, Satan is not, in fact, it's the church of God that he is trying to infiltrate and have people be deceived. The last time I was here, we, we spoke broadly about part of this subject. We considered, when we were considering honoring our Father in heaven in the context of these last days, we touch on some of these things. But as we speak now, there are some areas that I just want to bring to the forefront of our mind and our thinking and our thoughts so that we keep opening our eyes, especially my dear ones, my young people, because a lot of, I would say, your parents have weathered the storms to this point, but you are just at a seashore. You probably not dip your leg into the tiny waves that are coming to shore yet. So by the time you dip your, uh, your feet in that wave and go deeper into the sea where you encounter the ferocious storms, it will be difficult. So you, you need to begin to see the satanic plot as it's around the world now. And then when you see things, you can fit in some of the details because we cannot cover all the details. One area that I just want to touch on is the area of pop psychology. And it's a very powerful area because it cut across our lives. It's in education. It's at your workplace. It's at your social life. And some people have tried in the broader Christendom to get it into the teachings of the Bible. But before we, we, we get a, a, a better grounding, let's 
pick some ideas from what I'm referring to as uh, pop psychology and humanist ideas, some of which um, would be considered new age. But sometimes you, don't, you, you hardly hear somebody coming close to you and saying, oh, let me show you some new age ideas. I mean, Satan doesn't deceive anybody by being that blatant, right? So they come at things that they're very subtle and you, you, it could quick, uh, easily get you thinking about something else instead of the main thing, the deception. There's a man called Carl Rogers. If you've read a little bit of psychology, his name will come up. And he's one that is credited with the theoretical understanding of self-concept. And he says, or he believes that the self-concept has three components. And the three components are, one, self-image. And self-image is the view you have of yourself. So the way you look at yourself, it's your self-image. It's all about you. It has nothing to do with me. It's the way you look at yourself. That's your self-image. Then it comes to self-esteem. And what that means is how much value you place on yourself. So it's also about you. And it's not about me. It's about how much you yourself value yourself. Self-worth. And then he drives us into the ideal self. Which is what you wish you were really like. So, you, you see how self-concept is all about self. Because God is not defining you according to Carl Rogers. God is not valuing you according to Carl Rogers. And God does not have an ultimate plan for you. Because everything is about how you look at it. So, anybody here might not have the same self-image as I do. Because the way I view myself, you may not view yourself that way. So, these are very popular things that we don't challenge them. These are psychologists. And so we study them, we apply them, and nobody questions any part of it. But these are the people who come up with the theories, and this is what they mean. They, they, they have nothing to do with our God. So where does our God come in in this self-concept? So this can only be human nature, the fallen nature. Because if it's not the fallen nature then it's not about us. So you might go to school, you study psychology, and self-esteem, school, self-esteem is huge everywhere we go. And it's very interesting when you start analyzing it. Because a lot of the mental health problems we face, you can trace it to self-esteem. Not because... You, have, you need self-esteem to be mentally healthy, 
But because we've been trained to that height of self-esteem, anything that deviates from our self-esteem now bothers us. Because you, somebody, has a certain value on themselves. If others don't value it that way, then what? It hurts them. So they could be depressed because they think that they're beautiful. But in the school, nobody thinks that they are beautiful. So when they go to school, they're sad all the time. So we are creating part of our own problems, as a matter of fact. So I'm not going in any deeper to Carl Rogers. We just need these three elements that he gives us with self-concept. Between 1986 in 1990, there was a project that was embarked on in California, close to us, in terms of continent. And at the end of the project, there was a report that they titled Toward a State of Esteem. And the project set up a bipartisan legislative task force to promote self-esteem and personal and social responsibility. Brethren, everything the task force sought to do was to promote self, the fallen nature. And let me give you a few quotes from that work. These quotes are from the chairperson of the task force. They started in 87 and they finished in 1990. So in 1990, when the report came and the chair of the committee did his uh, preamble, he said something like this. He said, the task force, quote, has been a pioneering effort to reframe social problem solving. And then he continued, the work of the task force, quote, has demonstrated that self-esteem may be the unifying concept to reframe American problem solving. So if there's any problem in America that we want to solve, if we don't solve it using the, the, the lens of self-esteem, then we can't solve that problem because that is the way to solve the problem. And in fact, the very person who promoted the whole idea of self-esteem as solving American problem a member of the legislature in California, John Vasconcelos, he said that self-esteem is a social vaccine. So they needed to create a social vaccine and that will fight problems like crimes and violence, school dropouts, teen pregnancy, welfare dependency, drug abuse, child abuse. So these problems were going to be solved by 
a dose of self-esteem. So when it will boost your self-esteem, you're going to go to school. You're not going to be involved in teen pregnancy. You're not going to be dependent on welfare. You will not steal. You will not be violent. And the document is available. You can read it. The logic and the understanding of how to solve this problem. The man who promoted that idea said, he said, as we approach the 21st century, we human beings now, for the first time ever, have it within our power to truly improve our human condition. We can proceed to develop a social vaccine within our power, human, our power to change our condition. And he made some comparison with what um, pres- from, um, late President John Kennedy said that they're going to put man in space in the 60s. And we have the government records showing that they went to space. So he said, in the 90s, we humans have the opportunity to enter our own inner space. We can unlock the secrets of healthy human development. So if American conquered outer space, it's now to go inner space. Self. Us. To deal with our problems. And another last thing that he said, quote, together, that's why I said that together noted, together, we can truly grow more self-esteeming and responsible. Together, we can truly make a difference. Together, we can make history better. Let us begin right now. So this is John I probably can't say the name. Vasconcelos. So, when we read, we can make history better. Let us begin now. Kind of sounding like Genesis 11, right? Exactly. And there are other people who have done some work in self-esteem in particular. And there's one work called Self-Esteem, A Profound Revolution. And in that work, it is touted that self-esteem is, quote, the personal revolution wherein each of us chooses to envision ourselves as innately good-natured. grows to experience ourselves 
and each other that way. So the way you see yourself as innately good natures, you see everybody else the same. And then he continues. Then we own and exercise our power and take charge of our lives and our politics, our society, and our future. I'm taking time to kind of dramatize these issues for you to situate how self is so steep in our society. In our society. There's a woman that did a work on self-esteem and he, so she called her book a book of self-esteem revolution from within. And that is one of the most rebellious books I have ever seen. She makes statements that it's very difficult to appreciate how man can position him or herself against God. And some of the things that she says in, in, in her work she said, the idea that self-knowledge was God-knowledge, that the self was microcosm of the universe, and that knowing the self was our individual way of knowing the mind of God, was the central origins of Hinduism, Buddhism, Sufism, and he said, all other religions sprang from it. So in order to know God, you got to go deep. Know yourself. And once you know yourself, then you know God. And, he, and she quoted some work, the Upanishads, which is um, Buddhist and Hindu writings, he said, when we realize the universal self in us, when and what may anybody fear or worship? So once you find it here, what else? You just have to go there and worship yourself. He said, without self-esteem, the only change without self-esteem, the only change is the exchange of masters. So, let me finish. With it, there's no need for masters. So, if you don't have it, so to speak, like us, church people, we don't have self-esteem. So then we change masters. So the master of self, we change it, and then we take the Lord as our master. So if we don't have self-esteem, then that's what we'll do. We'll just change masters. But if you have it, there's no need for masters. Because you are your own. We don't need anybody. 
hierarchy try to convince us that all power and well-being come from outside and that our self-esteem depends on obedience and measuring up to their requirement. But it's interesting that even the most totalitarian cultures have never been able to convince everyone. So in a sense, what it's saying is that hierarchy is terrible because it's dependent on obedience to an external force and measuring up to some external standard. And that's what we do here. We are a stink. And the last thing I'll quote, because I'm going to use that somewhere else, is that each of us has an inner child of the past living within us. Those who needed to build no walls have access to the child's creativity and spontaneity. Those who had to leave this crucial call behind can tear down the wall, see what the child needed but didn't have, and begin to provide it now. The more we do this, the more we know that we are worth it and that we always were. This is seriously blasphemous against our God and against anything that we stand for. Because our God is a standard to us. God comes to us. God is a standard to us. So if we depend on a standard influence, then we don't know what we're doing. That is what they are all seeking to tell us. So self is huge in our society. And I've taken time to do this for the only reason that the application of self is very widespread. Very widespread. There's a recent advertising of a, a new store that is coming at the eating center. It's called uh, Nordstrom. And the advertising is all over the place. And there's a, a, a bus shelter and they have this big block letters. You first. And I do some work there. So I've asked people, say, you think there's a company in this country that puts you first? I don't know one. But that's customer service, right? Customer service said, we first, the customer. But is it true? It's a lie. Because if we are first, we are the same people that they are milking. So the person that you think is most important is the person that you're also milking your profit from. So how am I first? I'm not. You're lying to me. Because you are giving me a dose of the social vaccine so that it will pump me up and then when the store opens on September 16th, I will walk in because I've been told that I'm so important. Your ego comes up. Is there any advertising you've seen that is not trying to boost your ego up? 
any advertising you've seen that is trying to just explain the product to you? No. But it's an application. Anybody watch Oprah? Huge application. I call it the synagogue of own. Terrible. A woman with such influence. But she's driving society into the pit. Anybody heard about We Movement? We Day? You've heard about them? Have you watched some of their shows? I'm not going to ask you anything. <laughs> we Day. There's a new movement. We Movement. We. And the we doesn't stand for anything. It just stands for us. So it's not W-E, the W stands for something and the E stands for something. No. And all the movement is we. Movement. We.org. Huge. And I'm saying this, brothers and sisters, with every ounce of God's spirit in me, that it only takes God to come and stop that movement. Because it's sweeping our young people, the impressionistic few, uh, sorry, many, it's sweeping them off their feet because it's so enticing. We want to change. We want to improve our environment. Do something. There are events. They don't sell tickets. You have to do a service in order to get into the, pro, uh, the We Day event. So do something. Tell us. And we'll give you a ticket and you come in. What a wonderful thing. Kids are doing all kinds of things around the world. Now it's in US, Canada, and UK. But it takes a bit of listening to them. And you, you know that self. Because we, there's an aspect called me to we. And there's we to me. And there's we they. Like, what are we doing here? Brothers and sisters, we need to help build fences around our young people. Because the things out there are just terrible. Everything is giving you a dose. Boost you up. I did something. Me, I did it. And then a lot of me's meet it goes we right so we will change the world we give water we give education we give health these are their statements and you think they are using pronouns it's not a pronouns they are using they are using a concept they are using the self. And the way they will say it, you know that's what they're saying. Two brothers founded it. There are two past prime ministers of Canada that were supporters. Big people are behind them. And they're sweeping our young people. Music. That's a whole new ballgame. So. What is the manifestation of this in Christendom? Uh, in Christian circles. 
There's a lot we could say, but let me just use one. Because it has far-reaching implications. And the last time I was here, I wanted to mention that, and we didn't get to it. So let's use that example as manifestation of self, but in the Christian circle. And it's in the area of healing. Healing. And what, I mean, if somebody walk you through the Gospels and all the healings that Jesus Christ did, like how are you going to be able to stand anywhere and say anything negative about healing from biblical perspective? You can't. But for people supposedly following Jesus Christ and involved in healing ministries, and deceiving people with healing. It's mind-boggling. And it's not because the healing they do is what is false. That's not what my beef is. But how to get there. And there are a lot of healing ministries that heal by virtue of forgiveness. That's my beef. Forgiveness. What an ultimate concept in Christianity for Christ to buy our pardon, our forgiveness and for Satan to use that same word to deceive us. And in their world you cannot receive healing until you forgive. Until you forgive. So I ask you, what is forgiveness? Who is the source of forgiveness? Who can forgive? Who can be forgiven? These are simple questions, but when you enter some of the healing ministries, the answers could be shocking. Can we forgive God? Can we forgive God? Can we forgive ourselves? This is a common statement. Oh, you you need to forgive yourself. Well, in Christianity, there is no such thing as forgiving yourself. How, How does it work? Where in the Bible that you can do something against yourself, you sin against yourself, and then you forgive yourself. But these people are saying, if you can forgive yourself, you can be healed. And you need also to forgive God. Wow. Of course, if you are God and you can forgive you, why can't you forgive God? In their thinking. So these things are not simple things. They are in the Christian circles and they are not far away from us in this faith community that is why it hurts me and that's why i'm passionate about it because we're pretty much reading almost the same books watching the same christian shows listening to the same Christian music. So 
we are all in the midst unless we learn that this is how Satan wants to reach out and get us. So you may be having difficulties. You need healing. And then when people get desperate, their reasoning goes down. True or false? You get so desperate, your reasoning goes down. And so you're not looking too deep into some of the suggestions that you are getting from people because you want the healing. And so people say, oh, they start letting you go back. That's what I, I, I wanted to quote that. That inner child, the child that didn't get what it want, uh, that child wanted. Now you go back and you please that child Raise that child up. The child in us. That's what they're saying. Each of us has an inner child of the past living within us. This is psychology. Psychology will just take you back. What happened? Where were you? Keep asking you these questions. Trying to take you back and back and back. To a time that you didn't remember, and you may start talking like you're when you were three years old and saying these, those things. And you will know that you were burnt and you, nobody ever told you, but because you went so deep, now you know that, oh, somebody burned you. And now you have to forgive that person. Because if you don't forgive that person, you can't get healing. And even when that person is dead, you still have to forgive that person. So, that is a place that we need to be aware of and understand that Satan is trying to get into the body through the very things that we all speak about. I would Keep that religious sector there. So how does God deal with the self? By the way, I should mention there was another Together concert in July in the D.C. Their aim was to bring one million Christians together. DC, true music. And you need to know who is in that lineup and who are the speakers and what they are saying to get that. Terrible. So, how does God deal with the self? Brethren, you know that our God is a jealous God. And so He has said, I am Jehovah, Yahweh. Your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, you shall have no other gods before me. Not even yourself, nothing else. In defining who he is, he set the limit for our worship. He 
our God is that limit. Anything else will constitute the worship of other gods, including ourselves. Instead of allowing the self to die, be buried, and then resurrected in the newness of life, our society would have us just plant the self and keep watering it. So we take the self, we won't let it die and come out different. We just plant the very self and start watering the self in order that the self will grow pumped up. Well, let's drive it home. Jesus Christ plainly said in Luke 9, I would read it, um, Luke 9 verse 23 onwards. He said, and he said to all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake, he shall save it. Jesus is not using a pronoun and saying, when you come to me, deny himself. So he's just using, he's talking about the concept of the self. That nature we need to drop it and take his yoke, which is light, upon ourselves. And then he will help us to save our life. Instead of trying to save it, pump it up, and losing it eventually. So... This is, in a nutshell, how God deals with self. It should be denied. Denied. That, and this is how it is denied. In that process, and that's where we come to Romans 6. And in verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so grace may abound? Let it not be. How shall we, this we that is being pumped up, how shall we, who died to sin, live any longer in it? How can the self live when it's supposed to be dead? Verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. So this is how, what should happen to ourselves. It has to die in Christ's death. In our baptism, being buried under the water. So we bury the self there. Repentance, which is being symbolized through baptism, to show what God has accomplished in us. Verse 6, uh, sorry, verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father 
Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. This newness of life is not self-life. It's a new man created after God. The self must die. 6.5 For if we have been joined together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, verse 6, that our old man is crucified, our old self is crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be destroyed, that from now on we should serve sin no more. We don't need to mount that self-horse anymore. Let it be destroyed. In the symbolism of the crucifixion and the barrier, we don't need to water the plant, the self-plant. So he who died, verse 7, has been justified from sin. But if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And Paul said, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I live. Yet no longer I, not me, not the self, but Christ lives in me. And that life I now live in this body of existence, in this flesh, I live by faith toward the Son of God. It's Esther, Son of God, who loved me and gave himself on my behalf but my pardon verse 9 knowing that when christ was raised from the dead he died no more that no longer has dominion over christ self should no longer have dominion the only thing that will be remaining with self is self-control selfless Self-examination. Those ones, you can retain them. Other than that, all the self is God. Verse 10. For he that died, he died to sin once. But in that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, in the same way, count yourself also as truly dead. Yourself is true. In fact, is beyond comprehension. It is dead. <coughs> this is not wishy-washy feeling. Yourself is gone. Your thoughts, your desires, they're all mortified and living in conformity with the Son of God who loved you. And gave himself up for you and I. Therefore, 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That you and I should obey its last. The last of the eyes, the last of the flesh, the pride of life. No more. No self. We do not need, do not yield your members. Verse 13, as members 
as instruments of unrighteousness, not following self, but to yield to God as one alive from self, alive from the dead. And your members, every faculty we got, as instruments of righteousness. Because Ephesians 2, 1, He has made us alive who were once dead in trespasses, in which all of us once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, he made us alive with Christ. By grace, you and I have been saved. This is how God deals with the self. This is how we can live above self. We have to let self die. So the other plant that we need to water is the plant that we plant. It gets dead under the earth. You see the plants um, coming out. That new life is the one we need to water and let it grow to bear fruit in abundance. Not the one that we just put it right into the soil and start watering it. No death. That is the self. I leave you with this anonymous poem. Um, I would read a, a couple of stanzas. Dying to self. When you can never care to refer to yourself in con- conversation, or to record your own good works, or each after commendation, when you can love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you see your brother prosper and have his, and have his needs met and honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy nor question God while your own needs are far greater and unmet, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself and humbly submit inwardly as well as as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising in your heart, that is dying to self. Galatians 5.24 And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and all its lusts. We need to die to the self and live above the self. Thank you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. 
We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.